We praise you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Father, for your presence here. Lord, we make room for you to do as you please, Lord. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I really believe there's a, there's a time sorted. Um, in meetings where we need to make room for God, um, we must make room in our own lives for God. I think it's a daily thing. I think it's a Sunday thing. I think it's a general um, thing. Um, I was reading through some of the Psalms the other day um, at home. I was just reading through them and I'd finished work, you know, I had a bit of a busy day with the young people, as always, quite uh, intense. Lots of emotions and feelings, you know, they're all so full of energy, some of it quite negative at times, if I'm brutally honest with you. Um, so I thought I'd just sit there and read through some of the Psalms. And I can't remember what Psalms I was reading, but um, I was extremely blessed and lifted. And as I started to look at the Psalms, I really started to, started to see David's relationship with God through the Psalms, through what he might have sung, through what was said. And it was, it's an expression of his relationship. And when we sing, we must sing out of our, our relationship, our expression of our hearts, expression of a relationship. It's not merely just words. It's so easy in church to get familiar with words, isn't it? We, you know, we say words, we say praise the Lord, and we say the words. But is there praise inside of you? That's the thing. Is there praise inside of you? And I could see where David was at, not completely, because only God really knows where David was at. He knew his heart, didn't he? He was a man after God's heart. But I could see David's realness in his relationship with God. And it, it, it blessed me, it made me reflect, it made me think about um, praise and rejoicing because David was a man after God's own heart, but he was a man of worship as well, wasn't he? David was a man of worship. He was a man of praise. He had his relationship with God and he had his own ups and downs, but regardless of that, he knew God. And we may have our ups and downs, we may have our struggles, we may have strife in our life, but the question is, do we know God? It's not the fact that you need to be having, having an absolutely perfect life to know God, but it's do you know God in it all and through it all? And that's the challenge. And whenever we face things and we all go through things, can we find God in it? And you can know, even more than that, you can know God in it. You can know God through it all. As the song says, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. So whatever you might be facing, learn, make it a life lesson, what you go through. Make it a lesson. It's not a discouragement, it's a lesson to trust in God. Trusting God with what you face and you'll be promoted through what you're going through. God's into promotions. 
He wants us to, he wants us to be promoted. Promoted in him. Promoted in confidence in him. So I was very blessed by the Psalms. I was very blessed, and it, it kind of led me on a bit of a journey. I've been on a bit of a journey this week. I'm always on a bit of a journey somewhere with the Lord. And it's very personal. If you don't understand all of it, then maybe that's just my own journey. And there's some things that people might say to you in your Christian life that you just think, sounds really good, but you just don't connect with it. And that's not necessarily because it's wrong. It's just that that's something personal that they're going through. It's something that's real to them because it's something that's between them and the Lord. We have a partnership, we have a relationship, don't we, with God. We're not all the same. but have to be the same as everyone else. And it's, it's okay to be an individual in the kingdom. <laughs> it's all right. We, we're not, you know, that's our strengths, really. It's our differences. Our differences are our strengths. I've been looking at Romans 5. I love Romans 5, and I want to touch on here just quickly. Let's go to Romans 5. Because I find myself relating back sometimes when I speak or I share something, back to my everyday life. And the reason why I'm explaining this to you is because that's where God becomes really real with me, in my everyday life. Now, you may learn fantastic things from books, and some of them are fantastic. But I don't believe you're going to learn anything like that unless you really live it out and go through it. It's what you go through you can really pass on with real authority because you live it. And what you live through will speak to others. People can tell when you talk from a script, but when you live through it, there's a difference. They're like, yeah, I can see this person has gone through something. There's something about that person's experience with God that I haven't got, and I want to know that. I want to know that, God. So in, in chapter 5, we start at the beginning, but I want to look at a particular point in here. I'm not going to go through all of it because there's so much here, but this is the, the, there's a focus here. And it really just gets down to verse 3, but we'll read from the top anyway. It says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, for whom we also have access by faith into this grace by which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. We just pause there, just for a second. Because I believe that the Lord wants to develop us, he really does. I do believe that with all my heart. He wants us to take us on. And um, at, at my work the other day, I was in a meeting, and we were talking about um, some of the challenges that we have in my workplace. And we have lots of different challenges. I'm not going to go into great detail, um, but they're real challenges. And we often find that there's a group of, we have a group of young people that are quite disruptive, dysfunctional, and um, they go through a lot of stuff. And often as tutors, we tend to gravitate towards, not myself so much anymore, we tend to gravitate towards simply the accreditations, the qualifications, which is good because that's our teaching practice. And that's what we need to deliver. However, 
Over the years, I began to discover that most of the work and the most important work is under the surface. It's beneath the stuff that's above, if you understand what I'm saying. And I give this illustration in one of the meetings. I said, working with the young people, I believe it must have been God, because I didn't really think about it, and it just came out. Sometimes when things come out, it's just good. And don't just think about it. It's just something just pops out. You think, where on earth did that come from? Has anyone had one of them moments? <laughs> it happens sometimes here. You think, where did that come from? Couldn't have been me. Um, and I, I likened it to an iceberg. And I said, working with the young people is like a huge iceberg. You're looking at the stuff above the sea level, the top of the iceberg, but beneath it, it's absolutely massive. And all this stuff is hidden underneath the water. Now, I know something a little bit about icebergs. I'm not an iceberg expert, but I know ships have to steer away from icebergs because beneath the, tip, the top that you see is often massive. And sometimes there's a danger that the ship could pass and it could split the side of the ship and let water in. Um, and I likened it as an iceberg. So, so the mass, the bulk of often the issues is beneath the tip of the iceberg, which we just see on the top. So often we focus on the top bit, getting them through the qualification, getting them through the, 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 the exam and stuff like that. But they've got a massive issues underneath it. I'm here to tell you today, God is interested in the unseen things. He's a God of the beneath. Now, with the young people, it's often social issues, it's rebellious behavior, it's rejection, it's parental issues, it's, it's a whole range of things. I could stand here for hours and talk about that kind of stuff, but I'm just using this as an illustration. That sometimes the main body of issues, the main body of the stuff, the main behavior things, there's something beneath what we see on the surface. And sometimes with Christians, we see the surface but we don't see what's beneath. God is interested in what's beneath. Now that is where character is truly developed. And this is what we see here. We see here in, chap in chapter five, verse three, it's, Paul says about rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character. Now, with my workplace, I liken it to my workplace because in my workplace, I have to persevere. I have to persevere. And this is why I bring it back to this scripture. I have to persevere. Now, if I don't persevere, I'll let them down. I'll walk away. They get discouraged. They feel let down. They've had let people, let people let them down all their lives. They've had people just give up on them all the time. So I have to persevere. And I want to persevere. And what, what happens in that perseverance, it starts to develop your character. It starts to change the person that you are. It starts to de develop a fortitude. As you persevere, 
What you do, you'll find out them rough edges, just like that bulk of that iceberg, is being knocked off. It's being taken off. And the mass of issues are getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. But you have to persevere. Because if you put your hand to something and you don't run with it, it's too hard and walk back and step back, there's no change of character. There's no transformation of character. The hope and the faith which is within you will cause you to continue. And in continuing, you'll find the mass will decrease and become smaller. Through perseverance, character is built. Reliability is built in people. People you can depend on. People are committed. People that have a commitment. It's a powerful, it's a powerful thing. When I start to break this down and I start to look at the times in my own life where I could have just easily given up when it's got hard. It's very similar sometimes to the Christian life. And I'm likening it to the Christian life. That if we can continue, if we can be a, you can be a person that perseveres and glories, and more than that, glories in God and rejoices in God, then a great change will continue to take place over your life. Now it says, this hope does not disappoint. Because as change takes place, hope continues to build in people. Hope throughout situations and circumstances. And then it goes on to say, because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts, it's the source of it all. But there's a partnership we have with God. There's a life challenge, isn't there? There's a daily resilience that's built around our lives. So one thing I would say is the Christian life is under the surface. And Jesus taught a lot about this. Because he said, when you go to pray, pray in your room. Do not do it on show. Do it behind the closed doors. When you go to worship, do not stand on the street corners and show off, in other words, Luke's paraphrase. Do not do it in a way that check me out. He's interested in your attitude, isn't he? And this develops good attitude. And I'll tell you what, if you approach the things that you go through in life with a good attitude and you start to see God in what you're going through and you see how God is developing you through what you're going through and you start to glory in God through what's going on in your life and if you have a good eye towards what's happening, it will develop your faith. It will start to change who you are, the person, the characteristics. Where you used to moan and grumble about certain things, suddenly you find yourself being silent. Suddenly when you give up, and you, there's a tendency to put on the victim mentality. But you can throw it off when you start to rejoice and praise. Amen. And this is the good news. Praise and rejoicing will set you free. You can have a good attitude in God. It's possible. You can get set free from that older attitude. This is the development that God wants to take us through. You've been born again, but God wants to develop you even further than what you've came. He's not just into giving up on people. God never gives up on anyone. He wants to transform us into the likeness of his son. Amen? In other words, we start to act like Jesus. 
That's not amazing. We say I can't, but he says this word says I can. By his grace and love and mercies, I can become like him. Isn't that wonderful? Sometimes we don't need an change of environment first. We need a change of perspective first. And when you have a change of perspective through your environment, then your environment starts to change. Sometimes we get it in reverse order. We want the environment to change, and then we're going to change. But no, 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 God wants to develop us. It's your faith, it's the kingdom of God within you. First. And then the outward changes. Amen? It's wonderful. You know, I'll go back to my work again. It's easy for me to give up some days on these kids. And sometimes it might be easy for you to give up on some days when it gets rough. But don't give up. Don't give up. That's where you're being developed. That's where you're being changed. It's because you're resilient. It's doing you good when you don't give up. If we go to Acts, I want to look at Paul just for a second because Paul's attitude was amazing. It was impeccable. When I look at the Apostle Paul and his attitude to, to the things that he faced in his life and what he did, and I want this to encourage you by the grace of God that you can be a person who rejoices because he was a person who rejoices in God. He was a person who had praise on the inside of him. It wasn't just a word, it was something that he exercised. I want you to exercise praise. I want you to exercise rejoicing. Because I know the power of rejoicing. I've experienced the power of rejoicing. Don't wait till it seems all okay around you before you start to rejoice. Start rejoicing. Because that's the antidote. What you need when you despair. When you despair, start to rejoice and see despair slip out the back door. It doesn't like to hang around people who rejoice. And don't wait till you feel like it. It's an act of faith. It's by faith that we praise God. It's by faith. Don't wait till you feel like it. Just start to do it. And I'll tell you what, your spirit will catch up in the end. Might be a bit slow sometimes, but it will catch up in the end. When you start to praise and you make a habit of your life to rejoice. And I was looking at this word rejoicing, and it's a fascinating word, really. It's a verb. And it's an, it's, it's an activity. Rejoicing is an action. It's not just a word. <laughs> Sometimes we just see it as ink on a page, and we just say it all the time, and it becomes habitual. But it's an activity. Rejoicing is an activity. It's an action. We can delight in his grace. It's an action. I can feel it working now. Praise the Lord. In Acts 16, 12. Acts 16, 12. We see Paul coming to Philippi. And I believe this is the birth of the first church in Europe. And, it, and from there to Philippi, this is where he went, which is the foremost city of a part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in the city for some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made 
we sat down and spoke with the women who, were, who we met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from a city of Tyria who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things Paul had spoken. And when she and her household were baptised, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to stay at my house. So she persuaded us. Now, I just want to just give a little bit of background, because I'm going to go to Philippians in a minute, because this is where Paul, this was the first time where Paul went to Philippi. And I believe this is where the church was birthed. And if you continue down, we, see this, we, we can go through the trouble that Paul went through when he went to Philippi. And he cast out this spirit out of this woman, this fortune-telling woman cast the spirit out, and her master gets all upset, and they drag them, drag them, they drag them um, before, the, before the courts, and they end up in a bit of a sticky situation because they end up in prison, don't they? We know the story. Paul and Silas were in prison, and we can pick up that in verse 25. And it says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake. So the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison awakened from the sleep to see, seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled drew the sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do not come, for we are all here. Then he called for light and ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What a fantastic question. So they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, you and your household. And when they spoke the word of the Lord to him, and all who were with him and his household were saved, and he took them that same hour by night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. And now they, and when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Amen. So. So Paul understood what it meant. He, he understood what it meant to sing to God. He understood what it meant to rejoice. He, knew, he understood what it meant to pray to the Lord in difficult circumstances. And I want, you to, I want to encourage you today, don't give up on the spiritual life when things get tough. That's when you press in. When it's not looking that good, it's time to press in. You don't know who's listening to you. You may be behind the walls. I mean, Paul was in prison, and it says they were listening to him. And listen, when you're rejoicing and when you're praying, you don't know who's watching. You don't know who's watching your life. You don't know who the Lord has positioned around you. And as you know here, the shackles were gone, the, there was an earthquake, and they were set free. So Paul had some experience of this. And one thing you need is you need experience of what I'm talking to you about. I don't want just to lie within a sermon. I want you to test this. Start to praise him within the week. Cultivate it in your life. Start to cultivate an attitude of rejoicing and thanksgiving. And see what changes around you. 
See what difference it makes to your life. Man, I tell you what, I've, I've experienced it, and I want you to experience it. I'm not just boasting myself, I just thank God for what he's given me, but I want you to have it. And that was the same attitude that Paul had, because as we go on, there's so much in here, but I want to go on to Philippians. He had a, such a love for these people from his first visit. His first visit, there was a church birthed in this place, and he wrote an epistle to them. We're going to look at it in a bit. And he had a great affection, a great love, and he had a great relationship with this group of believers that he went out and evangelized them years ago. But here you see the real character of Paul, don't you? To be able to persevere in adverse situations, circumstances that were contrary to everything that was around him. But he was persistent. He continued to pray, and he continued to praise God and rejoice. So as we go to Philippians, let's look at Philippians just for a second. Because he writes to these group of believers. And this is the epistle that we have now. Now the wonderful thing is that when, when Paul wrote this epistle, he was actually in chains. When Paul wrote this, he was in a Roman prison somewhere. Which is remarkable. Because it's full, it's packed full of inspiration. If you get a chance, read it. It's actually amazing. I've been reading it, and I thought, what an amazing person. That in his chains, he was still thinking about these people. You know, their hearts were together, and it says that right at the beginning of the chapter. It starts, he starts with, like, I, I, make, I make requests. This is chapter 1, verse 3. It says, I, I thank God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests. For you all with joy, with your fellowship of the gospel, from the first day until now. You see, he's got such a, 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 they're knitted together. He's bonded a relationship with these people. But if you, had, if you carry on reading throughout the chapter, we're not going to read the whole thing, but I, I want to encourage you to read this letter because it's, it, it's full of rejoicing. It's full of encouragement. It's full of um, encouraging you. These group of believers to rejoice and to pray and, to, and to, to build them up. He's exhorting them. The amount of times he mentions rejoice in it, it's amazing. Because he knew the power of rejoicing and singing. He had gone through it in that place, in that prison. He was tested by it. He was tested by his adverse situations and adverse circumstances. He was able to say confidently to these group of believers, rejoice. And we have that several times. And he even says it when he gets a bad report. Now, if you look through um, just further down from verse uh, 15 of chapter 1, it says that even people preach Christ with wrong motives, envy and strife, not from goodwill, selfish ambition. And he gets this report in a prison. But he says, I still rejoice right at the end of that chapter. He says, yes, I still rejoice because Christ is being preached. Now, I often wonder if I was in that situation, hearing a bad report would be like the, the now in the coffin for me. But he had an eye for the gospel and what God was doing through this adversity. God was making the gospel known to the people around him, even in the prison cells. Even in the court system, the gospel was going out. 
He had an eye, he had a view that was going outward to these people of encouragement, of blessing them, and wanting to see the best come out of their lives. I just, you know, his attitude was incredible. When you really think about what he had gone through and where he was, his attitude is remarkable. You know, I pray to God that we had have an attitude like that. Philippians 4.4. 4. He says here, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Not sometimes, not when you feel like it. We have a lot of feel like it Christianity sometimes. I'm a Christian when I feel like it. <laughs> I'm a Christian on Sunday morning. It's not like that in here. He says rejoice in the Lord always because he knew it was their antidote. It was the thing that would lift them up, that would raise them up. I mean, listen to me. Rejoicing and praise is for God. But I'm here to tell you today, there's an automatic encouragement that we benefit from it, in other words. We benefit from praising and rejoicing in God. We benefit. It will take you out of the mist and despair sometimes you face, and it will put you in the, on the higher ground. It will put you on the higher ground. I want you to try it this week. Start to rejoice. Make it a part of your life. Activate it. It's a, state, it's a state that we can come into, a rejoicing state, not just ink on a page or a word that we say sometimes. Amen? So he says rejoice, and I'm saying for you today, rejoice. Rejoice in God. Rejoice in the Lord. He didn't say rejoice in your surroundings. He said rejoice in the Lord. Therefore, you can always rejoice in the Lord. Amen? You can always rejoice in the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. God is good, isn't he? God is very, very good. I'm very, very, very blessed. I want you to read through Philippians. I want you to encourage yourself because that's what David did. It said uh, in, in uh, doesn't matter where it is. It said that David encouraged himself in the Lord. So I want you to take a little bit of ownership over yourself and your own attitudes in the week and start to encourage yourself. Amen. Start to encourage yourself in the week. You know, sometimes we have an authority we don't realise we have. Sometimes you don't have to stay the same. You're not helpless over your situation all the time. You can take responsibility over your own attitude. Is that good? Amen. In faith, in Jesus' name, you're going to have a blessed week. Amen. Amen.